morning in our time in God's Word, we'll be looking at 1 Kings chapter 9. We'll continue along in Solomon's life, coming to the halfway point of Solomon's life this morning. Before we read from 1 Kings 9, let's pray together. Lord, we thank you for your Word. We pray that you would speak to it, speak to us through it this morning. Change our hearts and our lives by this power. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. 1 Kings chapter 9, when Solomon had finished building the temple of the Lord and the royal palace and had achieved all he had desired to do, the Lord appeared to him a second time as he had appeared to him at Gibeon. The Lord said to him, I have heard the prayer and plea you have made before me. I have consecrated this temple which you have built by putting my name there forever. My eyes and my heart will always be there. As for you, if you walk before me in integrity of heart and uprightness, as David your father did, and do all I command and observe my decrees and laws, I will establish your royal throne over Israel forever. As I promised David your father when I said, you shall never fail to have a man on the throne of Israel. But if you or your sons turn away from me, do not observe the commands and decrees I have given you and go off to serve other gods and worship them, then I will cut off Israel from the land I have given them and will reject this temple I have consecrated for my name. Israel will then become a byword and an object of ridicule among all peoples. And though this temple is now imposing, all who pass by will be appalled and will scoff and say, Why has the Lord done such a thing to this land and to this temple? People will answer, Because they have forsaken the Lord their God, who brought their fathers out of Egypt, and have embraced other gods, worshiping and serving them. That is why the Lord brought all this disaster on them. At the end of 20 years, during which Solomon built these two buildings, the temple of the Lord and the royal palace, King Solomon gave 20 towns in Galilee to Hiram, king of Tyre, because Hiram had supplied him with all the cedar and pine and gold he wanted. But when Hiram went from Tyre to see the towns that Solomon had given him, he was not pleased with them. What kind of towns are these you have given me, my brother, he asked. And he called them the land of Kabul, a name they have to this day. Now Hiram had sent to the king 120 talents of gold. Here is the account of the forced labor King Solomon conscripted to build the Lord's temple, his own palace, the supporting terraces, the wall of Jerusalem, and Hazor, Megiddo, and Gezer. Pharaoh, king of Egypt, had attacked and captured Gezer. He had set it on fire. He killed its Canaanite inhabitants and then gave it as a wedding gift to his daughter, Solomon's wife. And Solomon rebuilt Gezer. He built up lower Beth Horon, Baalath, and Tadmor in the desert within his land, as well as all his store cities and the towns for his chariots and for his horses. Whatever he desired to build in Jerusalem, in Lebanon, and throughout all the territory he ruled. All the people left from the Amorites, Hittites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites, these peoples were not Israelites, that is to say, their descendants remaining in the land whom the Israelites could not exterminate, these Solomon conscripted for his slave labor force, as it is to this day. But Solomon did not make slaves of any of the Israelites. They were his fighting men, his government officials, his officers, his captains, and the commanders of his chariots and charioteers. They were also the chief officials in charge of Solomon's projects, 550 officials supervising the work, the men who did the work. After Pharaoh's daughter had come up from the city of David to the palace Solomon had built for her, he constructed the supporting terraces. 
Three times a year, Solomon sacrificed burnt offerings and fellowship offerings on the altar he had built for the Lord, burning incense before the Lord among, along with them, and so fulfilled the temple obligations. King Solomon also built ships at Ezion-Geber, which is near Eloth and Edom, on the shore of the Red Sea. And Hiram sent his men, sailors who knew the sea, to serve in the fleet with Solomon's men. They sailed to Ophir and brought back 420 talents of gold, which they delivered to King Solomon. There was, for me, at least for the majority of my pre-graduate education, two moments of, of anxiety for me each semester. The great moment of anxiety was when you would get handed your report card on the last day of the semester, and you would get ready to, to open it up, and oftentimes I would cringe knowing that it wasn't going to be good, just wondering just how bad it was going to be. But the other moment of anxiety, though a little bit less, would come halfway through the semester at progress report time. And the teachers would, would add up all your credit to date, and they would give you a grade that you were getting to this point in the semester. And I remember more than a, on one occasion, I would take the progress report and fail to show it to my parents, lest they become upset. Not too long after that, the school began requiring you to bring it to your parents, have them sign it, and bring it back to the school so that I wouldn't be able to get away with that any longer. But here, about halfway through Solomon's life, we have a, a progress report on Solomon. Solomon reigns for about 40 years, and here we see in verse 10 that he's 20 years through his reign. And so this is a progress report. How is Solomon doing so far? What, what credit has he earned? How has he served as God's covenant king of his covenant people? What does he need to do to keep going, to finish strong? These are all questions that are going to be answered in the text before us. And the text before us is, is most easily divided into two portions. The first portion, verses 1 to 9, looks forward to what Solomon needs to do to continue earning high marks from the Lord in the, the rest of his reign. The second portion, verses 10 to 28, looks backward to see what Solomon has already accomplished to give us a, an idea of how the Lord views Solomon's progress or lack thereof, but in this case, significant progress. So we're, we're going to take these portions uh, in reverse order. We're going to start with verses 10 to 28 looking backwards and then go back to verses 1 through 9 looking forwards. So let's start in verses 10 to 28. The, the first thing we notice if we read carefully is that the main theme of the entire chapter and specifically the second part is building. The word build occurs nine times or built occurs nine times it doesn't include times when we read words like construct. And so Solomon in these, these first 20 years of his reign is a prolific builder. And the passage focuses on all these architectural accomplishments that he built his palace and he built the temple and he built some cities and he built some towns and he built some walls. He built his wife's palace. He built his terraces. He built a, a fleet and largely he built a, a very powerful economic empire. That's a pretty good resume for 20 years on the job. And so the text and the author of Kings gives Solomon credit for all these things which he has accomplished in bringing Israel into its, its golden age. So let's say that you are Solomon's teacher. Solomon is halfway through his reign. What grade do you give Solomon so far? 
We've been, we've been with Solomon for nine chapters now. We've seen all of his accomplishments. What, what grade would you give Solomon on his progress report? I, I think you'd have to give him at least an A-. This is, this is an impressive list of accomplishments. If you don't give him a straight A, perhaps it's because this, this issue with, with Pharaoh's daughter keeps coming up to the surface, and we'll see in, in a little while that these chariots aren't such a good idea. But, but Solomon is, is a really a faithful king. He attends the worship services regularly. He, he provides for the sacrifices. He does all these buildings. He makes this grand temple, and God stamps his approval on it by showing up himself to dedicate this temple. So Solomon has some, some pretty incredible marks on his resume. He's earned a lot of credit. And if you don't give him a straight A, I think he deserves at least an A-. minus. But how about a question for you? Uh, to this point in your life, whether you're 12 or 32 or 52 or 72, whatever, to this point in your life, no matter how many years you've been alive and how many years you may or may not have to go yet, what grade do you give yourself on the scale of godliness and faithfulness? Now, I'm not asking you to grade your salvation, right? We know that salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, that we're saved only by the work of Christ. Now, I'm not asking you to, to grade your justification. I'm asking you to consider your, your sanctification, the, the progress you have made in becoming like Christ in your life by God's grace through His Spirit since you have been saved. How has your, your progress in godliness gone for you? I don't want you to call me up and call me some kind of Pelagian heretic because I asked you to grade yourself. I just want you to consider how it is that you observe in your life godliness or lack thereof. So what grade do you give yourself? And some of you are probably thinking, oh, pastor, no, 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 you don't understand. Remember, Isaiah says that our best works are like filthy rags. Haven't you, haven't you read the prophet? But that's garbage. Okay, when, when Isaiah is speaking, he's speaking to unregenerate, unrepentant, spiritual frauds in Israel who are saying the right things with their mouth and doing all the wrong things in their life, whose mouths proclaim God's name, but hearts are far from them. And unless you are a, a spiritual fraud and a hypocrite, that passage doesn't apply to you. Maybe you are that, and this isn't really for you. You're getting an F. We don't need to ask you what grade you're getting. But assuming that you are converted, that you do belong to Christ, that you do desire to worship God, what grade do you get? What grade do you get? Jesus tells us, Jesus tells us that we should desire, this is in the, the parable of the talents, that we should desire on the last day for God to say to us, well done, good and faithful servant. We, we desire that. The author of Hebrews in a very familiar benediction to us. In Hebrews 13, the author of Hebrews gives this benediction, says, Now may the God of peace, who through the blood of the eternal covenant brought back from the dead our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep, equip you with everything good for doing his will, and may he work in us what is pleasing to him through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. We can and should, in fact, do things which are pleasing to God. It's kind of like, like a young son who brings his 
father, a hand-drawn picture. It's not perfect. It's not Picasso. But it's precious. So too our works presented to God, our Father, though imperfect, are still valuable to Him. So having that in mind, what's your grade? Maybe you get an A. That may very well be, praise God. You love the Lord. You desire to serve Him. In fact, you do serve Him. You are faithful to God. Maybe you get a C. Nobody's going to mistake you for being a fully devoted follower of Jesus, but you do love the Lord, and you want to serve Him more. You just haven't got the kick in the pants yet to actually go and do it. If you're getting a D or an F, in my experience, Ds and Fs don't get degrees. So you need to plead with God to change your heart. You might repent, believe the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ, and begin doing good works, as Paul says, which we were created to do in Ephesians 2, verse 10. So what grade do you think you would get? How do you suppose in the remaining time in your life, no matter how long that may be, how do you bring that grade up? How do you improve? How do you serve the Lord with great faithfulness moving forward? Solomon gets high marks for his first 20 years. But the Lord, as he sees Solomon coming over the hill, so to speak, in his time as king, the Lord gives Solomon an encouragement and a warning for the rest of his life and for the rest of his reign. And that really comes to us in that first portion of our passage. We'll begin in verse 1. When Solomon had finished building the temple of the Lord and the royal palace and had achieved all he had desired to do. That's a dangerous place to be. Solomon has achieved everything he desired to do. He has this sense of, of satisfaction, of, of completion. Now that sense of satisfied completion is okay in and of itself. But a sense of self-satisfaction lends itself very easily to a sense of complacency, which lends itself very easily to boredom, which lends itself very easily to foolishness. And so Solomon comes, and in 20 years, he's finished everything on his to-do list. Every box is checked. He's accomplished everything he wanted to do. And the Lord decides, now is the time to come to Solomon again. And remind him, you're still the king, you're still responsible, you still oversee my people, you still need to be faithful, and you still need to be productive. We were made to have purpose. We were made to be productive. In the beginning, God created Adam and Eve, and didn't say, why don't you go take a float on Eden's yacht and put your feet up? Oh, he says, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, subdue it, work the ground, improve upon what I have made by cultivating it and doing holy work. God has made us to have a purpose. He's made us to have a, a, a productivity. And we see that God warns Solomon against spiritual complacency in verses 4 and 5. He says, As for you, if you walk before me in integrity of heart and uprightness, as David your father did, and do all I command and observe all my decrees and laws, I will establish your royal throne over Israel forever, as I promised David your father. 
when I said you shall never fail to have a man on the throne of Israel. That promise comes out of 2 Samuel 7. But what's the message to Solomon in these verses? The message is stay the course, Solomon. Stay the course. You've had a good 20 years. Don't get a big head. Don't rest on your laurels. Don't sit back and take it easy. Don't take your foot off the gas for the next 20 years, but stay the course. See the work through all the way to the end, Solomon. Don't stop now. Don't get lazy. There's a good lesson in there for us, for many of us. Most of us, and I think generally wisely, we set aside a portion of what we make all the time to save and to generate more wealth so that when we come to the end of our lives or towards the end of our lives, each of us, well, at least most of us, the great Dr. Naderhood accepted because he can still preach better than most and he's almost 90, but most of us come to the point where, where our ability to be gainfully employed decreases. And because we have a decrease in gainful employment, we need to have some kind of income supplement so that we can, we can live still and have means still after we have ceased working. We call that retirement. Nothing wrong with retirement in and of itself, I suppose. But retirement is dangerous. Because with retirement often comes complacency. And with complacency comes laziness and frivolity. We cease being productive. We start taking long breaks from things which God calls us to, even perhaps from our church. We lose sight of the fact that God calls us to submit our lives and our time, all of it, to Him from our first breath to our last. The temptation is to take the foot off the gas and say things like I've heard, I've done my time. You haven't done your time. If you've done your time, you're dead. Okay, God gives you time, whether it's 60 years or 106 years, God gives you time, and so you are called to an account for every bit of time you have been given. So if you're retired, that is great. You are hired, right? You, you may be retired from your other work. You are hired by Christ to serve him with all of this incredible freedom which you have been given. You've been given freedom in your time. You've been given freedom from concerns about worldly employments. So take advantage of this time. Take advantage of this incredible freedom and put it to work for Christ. Don't waste your life frittering away the last 30 years God gives you. Do you want to come before the Lord on the great day? Do you want to come before the Lord on the great day and he says, give me an account for your life. And you say, well, I did really well for 60 years, and I totally wasted the last 30. In my life, a 66 is a D minus or an F. And that's one-third. Two-thirds. I didn't do so well in math. Progress reports and all. Do you want to be faithless with a third of what God has given? Far be it from us. So the Lord encourages Solomon to continued faithfulness. And he warns him against unfaithfulness. Graciously warns him. Look at verses 6 to 9 with me. But if you or your sons 
Turn away from me. And do not observe the commands and decrees I have given you. And go off to serve other gods and worship them. Then I will cut off Israel from the land I have given them. And will reject this temple I have consecrated for my name. Israel will then become a byword and an object of ridicule among all peoples. And though this temple is now imposing, all who pass by will be appalled and will scoff and say, why has the Lord done such a thing to this land and to this temple? People will answer, because they have forsaken the Lord their God, who brought their fathers out of Egypt, and have embraced other gods, worshiping and serving them. That is why the Lord brought all this disaster on them. The author of Kings writes from exile. He writes, when there is no more temple, and the people of the nations are doing exactly this, they're walking past Jerusalem, they're walking past this temple, and they're asking, why has the Lord done this to his people? And the answer is because they went after idols. They didn't stay faithful to the Lord their God. And the last time we were together in Kings, a couple weeks ago, we looked at 1 Kings 8. And in 1 Kings 8, Solomon has already finished the exterior of the temple. And now he begins to fill it with these furnishings. And it's incredible. Gold this and bronze that. It's full. God even fills it with his glory. But then, God says to Solomon, I don't care how much gold and bronze this place is full of. If you are not full of obedience, this building will be empty to me. It will be just one more empty building in a world strewn with empty meaningless buildings. Stay the course, Solomon, and I will bless you. Leave the course, Solomon, and you will be destroyed. It's really a, a simple arrangement, isn't it? Obey and be blessed. Disobey and be destroyed. And God doesn't tell Solomon after the fact when it's too late. God tells Solomon right in the middle of his life when he needs to hear it most. Solomon would be a total dope to mess it up, wouldn't he? We'll see in the next couple chapters how he does. But you and I as well, we receive warnings from God, do we not? The author of Hebrews gives us all kinds of warnings. Just a, a sampling of a few of these comes from Hebrews 3, first of all. See to it, brothers and sisters, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. But encourage one another daily, as long as it is called today, so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. We have come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold our original conviction firmly to the end. We, have whole, we share in Christ if we, can, if we share our conviction firmly to the end. Hebrews 12, therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us be thankful and so worship God acceptably with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. That's a warning as well. And finally, from Hebrews 10, for we know him who said it is mine to avenge, I will repay. And again, the Lord will judge his people. It is a dreadful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. You have received warnings. And Solomon received warnings. The scripture doesn't say, 
He who has a good progress report through age 40 will be saved. The Scripture says he who perseveres to the end will be saved. So if you have come this far in faithfulness, good. Keep going. Finish strong. And if you have come this far without faithfulness, bad, turn around. There's still time to improve. But never forget that your life, your whole life, even to your final breath, belongs to God. And you should be ready for him when he comes. This past Wednesday morning, I had an opportunity with Ken King to go visit with Clarence and Flo Leansbart and their daughter Betty. And Clarence was sedated and wasn't really able to respond. And so as we're talking for an hour or so with Flo and, and Betty, uh, I was reminded of all the different times that I have spoken with Clarence. Clarence is 95, for those of you who don't know, or 94, 95. Flo is 94. They've been married for 74 years. It's really incredible. But as I was talking, my, my mind was going to different experiences I've had with Clarence. I would go visit him in the hospital, and he would always say something like this, Pastor, we miss going to church so much. You know, we were twicers. Every opportunity we had to be in worship with God's people and hear the word, we loved. And we would love nothing more than to come back. In this most recent time that I was, I was over there, we were... We were talking, and he was recalling for me all the, the different things he has done in the church and times he served as a, an officer and all the different guys that he's had an influence on that he, that he loves and all the ways he served. We celebrated God's faithfulness to him in that. In fact, I, I was so struck by my, my visit over uh, on Wednesday morning that I had a dream Thursday evening that Clarence got off his deathbed and walked by his own power up these stairs into worship. And I have no doubt that if he could, he would. But as I, as I watched what appears to be a dying man in his last days, I remember the thing he said to me most. I am ready to meet the Lord when he comes for me. And he would, he would wonder, why has the Lord not come for me? And Flo and I will say, well, he's not, he's not done with you yet. But he was ready. He was ready when the Lord came for him. Jesus tells us a, a parable about being ready in Luke 12. He says, Who then is the faithful and wise manager, whom the master puts in charge of his servants to give them their food allowance at the proper time? It will be good for that servant whom the master finds doing so when he returns. Truly, I tell you, he will put him in charge of all his possessions. But suppose the servant says to himself, My master is taking a long time in coming. And he then begins to beat the other servants, both men and women, and to eat and drink and get drunk. The master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him, and at an hour he is not aware of, he will cut him to pieces and assign him a place with the unbelievers. The, the, the punchline of, of the whole chapter of Luke 12 is this. You also must be ready, because the Son of Man will come at an hour when you do not expect him. The book of Kings gives us ample opportunity to evaluate ourselves and our lives. What do we love most? What do we worship most? How are we spending our lives? Are we giving God the best 
that we have? And how am I building my life? The Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 13 speaks of Christians building their lives on the foundation of Christ. He says, For no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become manifest, for the day will disclose it, because it will be revealed by fire. And the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. What have you built with? Perishable things? Frivolous things? Things which when you lay in a casket in the front of this sanctuary one day will be meaningless to you and everybody else. What have you built with gold, silver, precious stones that can endure through fire and have worth? Have you built with worship, with love for God and for others? Have you built with service to the church, to your community? Have you built your life with things that are pleasing to God? I can't answer that for you. All I can tell you is what the Word of God says. And the Word of God says, be ready. The neat thing about a progress report is that a progress report is written in pencil. It can still be changed, for better or for worse. But the final grade at the end is written in pen. And when the Lord returns, the ink will be dry. And so it is best for us to be ready. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I plead with you that for each person who is here today or who may listen or watch at some other time, that when the ink is dry on our lives, we might not be like the fool who builds with wood and hay and straw and perseveres only as through fire. But that we might build with gold, with silver, with precious stones, things pleasing to you. We pray as well that for anybody who is not on the foundation, which is Jesus Christ, for anyone who has not come to Christ in faith and repentance, thrown themselves entirely at his mercy, pleaded for grace and for forgiveness, who trust not in themselves, but only in you. I pray that you might strike fear in their hearts, a holy fear that brings the wisdom of faith, so we pray that as we continue on through the book of Kings, that you would continue to speak to us and call us to great faith and great fruit. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.